Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, May 5th, 2016. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Boston, Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery, beantownathletics.com. Today's show is presented by SeatGeek. SeatGeek has made it easier than ever before to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, speaking of tickets, is a story in the news today that has the New England Patriots revealing their variable pricing plan for the upcoming season at Gillette Stadium. Interestingly enough, the Patriots will be charging the most for the Week 10 game against the Seattle Seahawks. That's Sunday Night Football, November 13th, nationally televised on NBC. So when I saw this news, the first thing I did was pull out my phone and open the SeatGeek app. You can download it right now for free. And what I did was I searched this Week 10 game against the Seahawks. Tickets are currently available. But I set an alert as well. So what's going to happen between now and Week 10 is that SeatGeek, with this alert, is going to keep me updated when ticket prices fall. You should download the SeatGeek app right now as well. And when you do so, don't forget, you get a $20 rebate on tickets by using the promo code PICARD. That's right. Picard as in my last name. Even better, every ticket is given a grade and you're able to use the detailed map to see the view from your seat. And of course, I always put that to good use, especially with some seats and tickets I'm looking for for this upcoming weekend in which the Red Sox are going to be going to the Bronx, playing the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. And if you're the Red Sox for this series against the Yankees, you got your rotation that you want given the guys that are currently healthy. Rick Porcello pitching Friday night in the Bronx, David Price pitching Saturday afternoon, and the knuckleballer Stephen Wright on Sunday night, which is another Sunday night baseball game between these two teams. I know, you know, a knuckleballer on the mound, you know how I feel about that. I don't, I don't ever have confidence in a knuckleballer, but guess what? Stephen Wright is arguably the team's best starting pitcher right now through the first month of the regular season. So, I mean... He has been pitching pretty well, and and he is one of the top starters in this rotation. So if there are any starters that you want to see the Red Sox thrown at the Yankees in the Bronx, it would be these three based on how they're currently pitching. Rick Porcello, David Price, and Stephen Wright. So I've been looking into tickets for this weekend, and I've never been to the new Yankee Stadium, so I use this detailed map on the SeatGeek app. And I put it to good use. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or concert. And it should be the first place you go as well. And one last thing on SeatGeek that I need to mention is that what's great about SeatGeek, the price you see is the price you get. Most sites are going to try to surprise you at checkout with these outrageous fees. They're going to try to be sneaky on you not SeatGeek. Again, the price you see is what you get. So download the SeatGeek app right now. And don't forget, use the promo code PICARD to get a $20 rebate on tickets. So speaking of the Red Sox, as I just mentioned, last night, the Boston Red Sox in Chicago against the White Sox, a huge win, 5-2 to two for the Red Sox. And because the Orioles lost to the Yankees last night, The Sox move back, the Red Sox that is, they move back into sole possession of first place in the AL East. But the story of this game last night, it's simple. Clay Buckholtz, he was the story in Chicago last night. He gets his first win of the season. The Red Sox get their first win with him on the mound. Buckholtz goes seven innings, 
allows three hits, two runs, walks two guys, strikes out six, throws 98 pitches. He got into some trouble in the first inning. A Jose Abreu two-run home run that put the White Sox up two to nothing. And I even tweeted out, you know, this is, that first inning was Clay Buckholtz to a T. I mean, if you wanted to sum up Clay Buckholtz's career, it would be that first inning. Jimmy Rollins gets on. He's on first base. Buckholtz is obsessed with the runner at first base. See, I thought he was improving on that, especially with Christian Vasquez behind the plate, knowing how much Vasquez likes to throw runners out, likes to throw even a first base and try to pick a runner off who has a big lead. I just thought Buckholtz was sort of getting over that obsession with the guy at first base. But clearly last night in this first inning, he wasn't. He was obsessed with Jimmy Rollins in that spot. And, and my message to Buckholtz is always this. When you've got a guy like Abreu up at the plate, and, and I don't care who's at first base. I don't care if he steals bases. I don't care if he's got a huge lead. What you need to do, especially in the situation Buckholtz is currently in, in his career and in this season, With the Red Sox, basically, I don't want to say that this was a must win for him, you know, a win or you're done. I don't think that's the case because of the injuries they have in the rotation. Like, this wasn't a uh, win or you're getting demoted or DFA'd. I mean, I think we're getting closer to that, but, but we get closer to that when someone like Eduardo Rodriguez and maybe even Joe Kelly gets healthy and gets back into the fold. But for the time being, those guys are still out. Buckholz is still going to have his spot, but still, this is a big spot for him. And in this spot, in the moment of being in a big spot in, in a game, when Jose Abreu is at the plate, here's what I want Buckholz to do. And I say this about him all the time. I don't care who's at first base. I want him to focus on the guy that's at the plate. And what Buckholz did last night in the first inning was he was more focused on Jimmy Rollins stealing second than he was Abreu at the plate. And what happened? Well, he throws him a pitch that's a two-seamer at, what, 91. I think it was down and in on Abreu. It wasn't terrible location. I just, I have a problem with Buckholz really not, not caring enough about the batter and, and caring more about the guy at first base. I mean, Buckholz just seems to get rattled by that guy behind him, and it's, it's really his life story in the major leagues. And yet, what does he do when he cares about Rollins, when he cares more about the guy at first, Jose Abreu takes him deep, puts one in the seats, and all of a sudden it's two to nothing White Sox, and you're looking at that going, here we go again with Clay Buckholz. Here we go. And what does he do? He turns it around, and after that second inning, Clay Buckholz did not allow another hit after the second inning. He allowed the home run in the first, allowed another hit in the second. After the second inning, Buckholz did not allow another hit. He went seven innings. And he gets the win. He's now 1-3. and three. His ERA goes to 5.71. Um, he's, he was a story last night. He was. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he just locked himself back into this rotation long term. No. But I'm also not going to sit here and spend too much time on, on, on saying, well, now you need to trade him high. I mean, if Buckholt strings together six to eight dominant starts, then I think you can have that conversation. But for right now... It's one good outing. I mean, it is a big outing against a very good White Sox team, right? I mean, the White Sox are in first place in their division. They have 19 wins on the season. You know, this is a big win for Buckholz. And lately, Buckholz has looked like a different guy in at least three of his last four starts. And a couple of them I think people might not want to acknowledge. But 
I think we need to be careful with how we react to this. Like, I think we need to praise Buckholtz for what he did last night and how he was able to sort of settle down after that first inning in which he lets up the two-run home run. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that all of a sudden, you know, you need to trade him high. I mean, I think we need to sort of just realize what's going on with the with the team with regards to the pitching staff and the injuries that they currently have. Like, yes, Eduardo Rodriguez is now in the clubhouse. He's with the team. You know, to have him there last night, I do think is, is maybe a little message sent to Clay Buckholz. But, I mean... You know, until Eduardo Rodriguez is realistically healthy to be thrown in the rotation, and he will be put into the rotation when he's healthy, until we get to that point, Buckholz is still going to get his thoughts. I think you just have to look at it and say, all right, this is a positive for him, and, and you hope that he can take this confidence and the conviction that he was pitching with. I like how Steve Lyons on the broadcast, that's using that word, huh? That's what I've been saying about this Red Sox pitching staff and what they need to get back to, and how much Christian Vasquez actually helps with that. But Buckholz, you know, hopefully he can take this, build some confidence, and run with it, and and see what he can do in his next couple starts. But I th- I think we need to just accept that last night was a very good outing, a very good outing that need that he needed for himself, that the team needed from him, and the Red Sox end up getting a win because of it, but not just because of that, also because of David Ortiz, another home run, his sixth of the season. This one, there was no doubt about this one. It was a two-run shot in the fifth inning to right field, put the Red Sox up 3-2. to two. Ortiz with another RBI in the seventh, tacks another one on to make it 4-2, and then a Rutledge RBI single in the eighth, Gives the Red Sox a 5-2 lead. Craig Kimbrell comes in to close the door with his ninth save of the season. Also have to acknowledge Xander Bogots. Three for four last night with a run scored and an RBI. He also walked in this game. Bogots is hitting 321. 321. Now, I got I to gotta say something. I, the last couple days I've talked about Hanley Ramirez and how I think people are just looking for things, uh, you know, to pick on with this Red Sox team. They're in first place. They have the most runs scored in the American League. I think if you're going to complain about anything in this Red Sox offense, you are just looking for something to complain about. And as I've said the last couple days, the people that complain about Hanley Ramirez's lack of power to left field or lack of power at all to begin this season, I, I, I just, I think that's petty. I think that's foolish. I look at those arguments and I say, what planet am I on where we're upset with Hanley Ramirez hitting 284, 285 and having the approach of, I'm not going to try to pull everything down the left field line. I'm not going to pull my head out of some of these outside pitches with my helmet's falling off to the ground and I'm swinging and missing. I'm going to have an approach in which I'm driving that ball the other way. I'm taking it up the middle. I'm going to get some home runs to the opposite field this year. But in the meantime, those home runs to left field, they're going to come with this approach because it's going to keep me locked in. I'm fine with that. In fact, I actually love it. I love it. I wrote a column for the Boston Metro. It's online right now. It's on their website, metro.us. It's going to be in print tomorrow. The, The theme of it is this. Hanley Ramirez proved me wrong, or at least he has currently proven me wrong through one month of the season. Now, Hanley missed last night's game. He was a late scratch because of flu-like symptoms, but put that aside for a minute, and, and 
what I've been talking about the last couple days is my frustration with people who continue to complain about Hanley Ramirez and his lack of power. That power is going to come, all right? I actually like how he's locked in. I like how he's hustling on top of it. I like his approach. I love what he's doing at first base because it's the complete opposite from what I had expected it to look like. It is. I thought it was going to be a disaster. So I've expressed my frustration with people who are crushing Hanley Ramirez or even expressing concern with Hanley's plate approach. And I'm just going, what fucking planet am I on? Well, what Hanley's doing right now is a, is a problem, is a big-time issue for a Red Sox offense that is the most run scored in the American League and that as of today is in first place in the AL East. Like, what planet am I on where, where this is even a concern to anybody? And now, it's not even just Hanley Ramirez. Yesterday, I was driving home from the gym. And, you know, I, I turn on the radio and, and I'm flipping back and forth through stations. And, and look, you know, I'm a WEI guy, okay? And I obviously listen to WEI when I can, whenever I can. But, you know, you get commercials and sometimes things don't, you know, mix in. So when there's a commercial, you might jump to the other station to see what's going on. And uh, I heard, you know, Tony Maserati. Like, look, I like Tony Maserati. I think Maz is good. I, I enjoy him. I, I enjoy, you know, reading him. I, I, think, I think he's a good baseball guy. But I hear him talking about Xander Bogots yesterday during his little baseball show, and he opens his show. Maz opens his show by basically asking for Xander Bogots to improve on last year. Bogots is hitting 321. What is he asking him to improve on? He wants him to hit more home runs. He's not happy with what Bogots is doing right now. And I'm listening to this going, what are we doing here? Like, what fucking planet am I on where we can actually sit here and people can complain about the Boston Red Sox offense? Like, I don't get it. What are we doing? If Xander Bogots is not a home run hitter, I am going to be just fine with it because he's playing great defense at shortstop. He hit 320 last year. He's hitting second in this Red Sox order. He went three for four last night. I don't get it. Like, why? That's just one example of people in this town. And I'm not just talking about media members. I'm talking about fans, too. I pointed out in my column just how many callers, you know, called into my weekend radio show and wanted to complain about Hanley Ramirez. And, and if we're going to get this now with Xander Bogots that he doesn't have power either, and you're looking for home runs from him, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, I can't, you, know, I, you have to watch the games. You have to watch Bogots play the game. You have to even, you're a numbers guy? Look at the numbers. Bogots giving you the numbers. Like, I don't know what we're, why are we feeling the need to go out and search and dig for issues in this Red Sox lineup? I don't get it. It's ridiculous to me. It makes zero sense. Look, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I've, what I've done the last couple weeks is, is really I've been in awe of this Red Sox lineup. It's relentless. They're getting production out of Bogots. I don't know why you would complain about that. Because it's not in the form of a home run? Tough shit. It's still production. Same thing with Hanley Ramirez. Same thing. Same exact fucking thing. So, I mean, for people, even guys who know what they're talking about, like someone like Maz to be ranting and raving and, and complaining about Xander Bogots because he hasn't taken that next leap just yet and he's no, he doesn't really like his plate approach. The fuck are you talking about? Honestly, what are you talking about? Like, why? what planet am I on? Well, that's an issue. 
It's not an issue for me. Okay? It's not. And this Red Sox lineup is the furthest thing from an issue that I have with this ball club. And when you're getting starts from last night from guys like Clay Buckholz, when you're getting starts like that, Buckholz is one of the main issues. Then I, I, and the Red Sox are in first place, should, should ease some of the pain, should calm you down a little bit, should feel good about this team. I have felt great about this Red Sox team so far in the first month. And, you know, for the people that do have their concerns, I'm not saying that I don't. I certainly do. I just don't know that, you know, it, it, it's things that aren't going to be fixed. Like, for instance, if you're asking me that there's something that you should be talking about with this Red Sox team that is going to come up, I think, in the next month, that's going to need to be addressed and I think will be addressed. I sort of touched upon this yesterday, but even more so now where I see someone like Koji Uihara last night come in in the eighth inning after Buck Holtz gives you seven strong. Koji comes in last night. He gets three outs, one, two, three, 11 pitches, three fly balls. And they weren't just, you know, bloops to second base to the shallow infield. A couple of them were hot hit. And we're deep back to the warning track, back to the deep in the outfield. To me, Koji Uihara is a concern, and he's been a concern for me all year long because I just don't see, with that split, I, it's just not the same pitch that it used to be. And when you watch someone like Carson Smith two nights ago, I talked about him yesterday and praised him yesterday. I think that Carson Smith, I told you yesterday, he is going to be the eighth inning guy. Carson Smith is going to be the guy that's handing it off to Craig Kimbrell. Um, he is. And Smith didn't pitch last night. Koji did. And I know Koji went one, two, three, 11 pitches, you know, scoreless eighth inning. But guess what? You know, you still got to look at that and think, all right, fly ball city right there. How good do we feel about that? Do we feel good about it? You shouldn't because I don't. In fact, every time Koji's really been on the mound this season, I've had some some concern level. Carson Smith, I know we only saw one inning of him in his Red Sox debut the other night, but he's got a nasty slider. He's got a nice little fastball. I, I think that Carson Smith is the guy. I think he's the guy. I really do, for the eighth inning. And the more I watch Koji, even Tozawa, I like Tozawa better than Koji, but like I said yesterday, when Koji and Tozawa don't have their split, when there's no movement on that thing, it's flat. It's soft salad cheese, as Eck would say, and that's not going to fly in Major League Baseball, and it shouldn't fly in the eighth inning of a close game when you know you got Craig Kimbrell warming up. It shouldn't. I just think Carson Smith has so much better stuff consistently than Uihara and Tazawa right now where I just think the eighth inning is going to be Carson Smith's soon. I think it's going to be his inning soon. You're going to see that. He is going to be that go-to eighth inning setup man of this team. If you're judging these guys based on their stuff, he's got the best stuff. Out of Tozawa, Uihara, and Carson Smith, if you line them up against the wall, given the stuff they currently have, don't go back in time and show me Uihara's uh, splitter in 2013. It was filthy then. It's not the same pitch right now, for whatever reason. For whatever reason. It's just not the same pitch. You line Smith, Uihara, and Tozawa against the wall. And you need... Three outs right now in the eighth inning to hand the ball to Kimbrell in a two-run game. Who are you throwing out there? Who's the first guy you take? It, it's Carson Smith. I mean, I don't even think it's a question. So I think that's where this team is going to stand. That's a decision they're going to have to make. And if you ask me about a concern, given what we saw out of Buckholz last night 
and you know, right now, I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm fine with Buckholz the rest of the way, but for today, looking at this team right now, all right, applaud Buckholz. That's a good thing. It's, it's much better than the alternative, him being pulled in the second, third inning because he wouldn't stop letting up home runs. He did settle down. We have to acknowledge that and applaud him for that. Uh, we'll see what he does moving forward. But concern right now, something that I saw last night, Koji, Flyball City. I don't feel comfortable with him out there with the game on the line in the eighth inning. And I love what I see out of Carson Smith. I just think that is Carson Smith inning. I think that's his inning, the eighth inning. I think he's going to be in that spot. So we'll see how they handle it moving forward. But you're asking me for concerns? I mean, not many right now with the way this Red Sox team is playing. And, you know, some people have the concerns about David Price and how he's been so inconsistent. He is going to get his chance against the Yankees to pitch a whole lot better than he did last Sunday night, and he's going to get that chance on Saturday afternoon in the Bronx. So uh, as the Red Sox wrap up this series with the White Sox, they'll do that tonight. The rubber match of this three-game set, it's going to be Henry Owens on the mound for the Red Sox. He's going to go up against right-handed pitcher Eric Johnson. Johnson is making his season debut in place of John Danks. Though Danks, you know, he was, what, DFA'd, and now they're going to throw Eric Johnson in. Uh, Johnson coming from AAA Charlotte. He was 1-1 one one with a 3.74 ERA and four starts at AAA Charlotte. So he's a righty. The Red Sox should tonight. I mean, I would think they'd have their go-to lineup, though. Hannigan has been catching Henry Owens, so maybe they'll have Hannigan in. When Hannigan in, it isn't necessarily their go-to lineup because I think their go-to lineup is, includes Christian Vasquez behind the plate hitting eighth. But um, so if I'm the Red Sox, I'd stick with Christian Vasquez. But based on what they've been doing, it's probably going to be Hannigan. We'll see what Henry Owens can do. He was good enough against the Yankees last Friday night in six innings, allowing two runs. Uh, and of course, in that game, you got a big hit from Jackie Bradley and the big home run from David Ortiz. And last night, Ortiz with another home run. Also last night, I praise Bogots for going three for four. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. extended his hit streak to 10 games. If you're getting hit like this from Jackie Bradley Jr., then, you know, it makes this Red Sox offense that much more dangerous, which again brings me back to why would you possibly complain about anything going on in this Red Sox offense right now, or how could you? I just, I'm I'm just not on the same level as these people that want to complain about it. I don't even know why... It would come up, but it seems to come up with some people, I think, that are just searching for something and just looking for something to complain about. So the Red Sox, White Sox tonight, I will react to this game on tomorrow's podcast. But again, last night, Clay Buckholz, he was the story, and and he's going to keep making starts until Eduardo Rodriguez gets back, until Joe Kelly's healthy, and basically Buckholz, you know, he still has he still has more to prove. I'm not saying he's done proving anything. If there's one thing that still concerns me about Buck Holtz, it's that little issue he had in the first inning where he's still obsessed with that runner at first base and wouldn't be more focused on Jose Abreu at the plate, and Abreu made him pay for it. Um, the other thing that concerns me is, you know, he goes seven innings, and it's almost like there's this relief. And we saw this when he got taken out of the game against Toronto. Pitch very well. People forget about that start. He he basically dominated the Blue Jays in that game, or at least uh, he had a nice little ball game for himself. He was taken out of that game. Buckholz was 
He was just a little too pleased. And, like, his reaction was relief. Oh, now he can take a deep breath. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for Buckholz to want to be this kid that's on the mound that doesn't want to be taken out of the game. Like, I will take the opposite. Like, when people complain about John Lackey showing up the manager, please, give me that reaction to being taken out of the game any day of the week. Now, there's a difference. Obviously, you go back to last year and you look at Wade Miley, the way he reacted. I mean... What, how many home runs did he let up in that game before he got taken out? It was like the fourth inning. And John Farrell had a short leash, and Wade Miley's in the dugout, you know, just chirping him and in his face and showing up the manager, pointing out this, that, yelling in his face. I mean, that's a joke. You know, there's, there's not wanting to be taken out, and then there's not wanting to be taken out of a game in which you have no business even still being in. And that was Wade Miley. I mean, that was a joke. That was embarrassing. Wade Miley is an absolute clown, and I couldn't be happier that he's no longer with this Red Sox team. That guy is such a donkey, it's not even funny. That was embarrassing. You know, there would be times when John Lackey didn't want to get taken out because he felt like, you know, there were some things that happened in the game that weren't necessarily his fault, a couple blue pits, maybe a bad defensive play, still felt like he had something in him. And I could understand that. I actually like seeing that mindset from a pitcher like that. Yeah, Wade Miley's situation was embarrassing. Everybody and their mother knew that that guy should not have been pitching in that game still. So he had no beef, no argument whatsoever. And there's no way anybody in the organization could have been happy about the way Miley handled that situation last year. He's a clown. So don't even look at that reaction and think that, I enjoyed that. I did not. I can recall flipping out on that reaction from Wade Miley. But but someone like Lackey, I'll accept that. Buckholz last night, just, all right, nice performance. I love seeing it. I love seeing him settle down, not letting up a hit after the second inning. But, you know, when he when he's taken out of that game, it's just like, I, I, the reaction is, the reaction is tough to me. Like, I, I, I almost want to see Buckholz say, you know what, no, I think I got another one in me. You know, and not, not go overboard and get in the manager's face, but there's just, his reaction is too much of a, of a relief that he had a good outing, right? There's, there's that going for him. He, I, I think that needs to change, but it probably won't because that's how he's always been. That's, and that's how he's always going to be. So that's why I think there's people in this town that also, it's another reason why they don't like him. You know, I mean, I defended Buck Holtz in the past, I, but last year I stopped defending him. This year I've stopped defending him. And the reality is, you're never going to see the consistency. And if you do, then guess what? We know what's coming. He's going to get hurt, right? So if you're the Red Sox, how do you handle Buckholz moving forward? Again, I think we need to stop short of, for the time being, giving him too much praise or even shipping him out of town. We got to stay middle ground for the time being because right now there is no other choice. You get what I'm saying? Like right now, even if Buckholz sucked last night, I think they were still going to roll him out for the next start because they had to. Because Eduardo Rodriguez is not ready. Because Joe Kelly is not ready. Because you get that open spot in the rotation, where are you going with it? You know, I think you still have some questions about the kid who's pitching tonight in Henry Owens. So perhaps that spot might be open up at some point, and you might need two starting pitches if you take Buckholz out of the rotation. So I think what they're going to do with Buckholz is they're just going to keep throwing him out there to the mound and they're just going to hope that he can find 
what he's been able to find in the past at times and what he was able to find last night after he settled down after that first inning. Hope is the greatest thing in the world, and I think they're going to utilize that with Clay Buckholtz. But when Eduardo Rodriguez does get back, obviously they're going to have a decision to make. Um, when Joe Kelly gets back, they're going to have a decision to make. I think Kelly more suited in the bullpen, but, I mean, I don't need him there either. I don't need Joe Kelly on this team. But I think when you get to that point, and if Buck Colts has given you anything at all, I do think you need to look at it and say that's a good problem to have. Because a couple weeks ago, well, didn't look like that was going to be a problem at all. So, that's where we stand with the Red Sox and their rotation and the Clay Buckholtz situation that continues to play out in front of our eyes. But a nice start for the kid last night. So, when he does give you that nice start, I guess, you know, we got to give him some credit and praise him a little bit. But I'm going to stop short. I'm not going to give him the Cy Young. I'm not going to say that he has now earned a long-term spot in this rotation. But I'm also not going to ship him out of town because let's be honest he, th- there's no other there's no other pitcher to really throw into that spot I mean you're gonna dip down in the minor leagues and bring someone up is that what you're gonna do or are you if you're the Red Sox hope that Buckholtz can give you something and maybe maybe he can string together a couple dominant outings and maybe that does increase some type of trade value I think they'd rather go that route than just sort of winging it with some young kid from the minors who may or may not be ready for the major leagues. Uh, I will react to this White Sox, Red Sox game on tomorrow's podcast. And a uh, couple things last night in the world of baseball that I need to acknowledge. First and foremost, and maybe this is, I guess it's the world of baseball, but uh, Red Sox related. The Jordan's Furniture commercial, they're giving out free furniture if the Red Sox play the Yankees in the ALCS. You know, they get, they have all these crazy contests every year at the beginning of the Red Sox season, and they're just, they are really just forcing this Jordan's Furniture commercial down your throat on Nesson. I think what somebody needs to do, and I tweeted this last night, I think somebody needs to send the standings to Jordan's Furniture because the Yankees, by the looks of it, are not making the playoffs, which means that they will not be in the ALCS, which means that nobody is getting free furniture, which means that the contest essentially is already over here on May 5th on Cinco de Mayo. The contest is over already. So somebody needs to send the standings to Jordan's Furniture. I guess they could hold out hope that the Yankees make some crazy comeback. But I know they beat the Orioles last night. But the Yankees, you look at them. I mean, this could be, they could be done early this year. I just, the Jordan's Furniture contest right now looks bad for Jordan's Furniture. I, and I don't think anyone's getting their free furniture. And if you want to do anything, if you're Jordan's furniture, you I mean, I think they might be able to tweak it. But, I mean, I guess if you're Jordan's furniture, the best case scenario is that you don't give away free furniture. Though, I also don't think that you want the contest to be over by the end of May, right? Like, you want people, you want to tease the people and, and at least let them think they have a shot to get some free furniture so that all summer long they're buying couches and shit. I mean, now we're going to know that the Yankees are done pretty soon, which means that people are going to know they're not getting any free furniture from Jordan's Furniture because the Yankees aren't going to play in the ALCS, and that's part of the contest. 
If the Red Sox are the if the Red Sox play in the ALCS and they play the Orioles, I got news to the people that bought all this furniture. You're not getting that shit for free. Because it's not against the Yankees. So somebody needs to send Jordan's furniture to the standings. And maybe what they can do is they can say, well, all right, maybe they can pick another team. Toronto or Baltimore. Right? Pick another division team. And and that will allow people to at least be hopeful that maybe they can still get some free furniture out of the deal. And they'll continue to buy it throughout the summer. But the Yankees remain in last place with a 9-16 and 16 record that they have now. Um, you know, that people are not going to be buying the furniture with the purpose of hoping that maybe they can get that for free at the end of the season, right? So the Yankees are not going to the ALCS by the looks of it. Nobody's guaranteeing the Red Sox go to the ALCS, but as long as you're in the conversation for the division title, okay, then you're in the conversation for getting to the playoffs and getting to that league championship series. The other baseball note I want to bring up, I'm watching some highlights last night. Sean Rodriguez is at it again. You know Sean Rodriguez. Play for those Tampa, some of those Tampa Bay teams. He was involved last year. He plays for the Pirates now. When they played the Cubs, the benches cleared. Uh, Rodriguez was in people's face like he always is, playing the whole, oh, don't hold me back. Don't hold me back because now I'm really going to get nuts. And he went into the dugout last year and he was all fight up and he's given like, you know, the combination punches to the, to the empty Gatorade cooler and he couldn't even put a dent in that throwing fucking pillows. He is the biggest dickhead in professional sports. Honestly, Sean Rodriguez is the biggest fucking dickhead in pro sports. And, you know, I'm surprised that that Gatorade cooler didn't throw a punch at him and knock him out because it probably could have. He is a he is such a coward and a clown. It's not even funny. And he's just such a punk, too. Just a cocky, arrogant punk. And I hate him. He's at the plate last night. The guy, he, he, he quick pitches him. You know, he, he basically, Rodriguez is looking out at the mound afterwards. He doesn't like it that the pitch comes in too fast when he's not even ready. And he's looking out at the pitcher. And then he causes this. Just this scene. He's talking trash to the Cubs dugout. He's in the batter's box. Meanwhile, David Ross is behind the plate. And Ross held his composure. Ross would absolutely murder this kid. He would murder this kid. He would murder this kid with a wedgie. Honestly, he wouldn't even need to punch him. He would pull the guy's underwear over his head, suffocate him, and murder him. And Rodriguez wouldn't even be able to throw a punch because he's such a coward. And if he did, it wouldn't hurt anybody because he couldn't even hurt a fucking Gatorade cooler. That was empty. But here he is running his mouth. Then he goes in the field. He's like looking over into the Cubs dugout. He's got the ears tucked underneath his hat. What a loser. This kid, I hope he get. I hope somebody just absolutely annihilates him one day on that field in a bench clearing brawl. I do. I hope he just gets crushed because he's just such a punk and he just runs his mouth. And he makes something out of nothing. Like, what is wrong with you? Get over yourself. You suck. One, one, you're terrible. Okay? Two, I don't know how anybody doesn't punch you in the face just for no good reason. Like, one of these days, it's going to happen. He's just going to get hit. And I can't wait for that moment. But he is back at it again. What a, what a jerk off he is. I cannot stand that kid. Can't stand him one bit. Biggest dickhead in pro sports, Sean Rodriguez. Back at it again. 
acting like a clown. Oh, man. So I saw that highlight last night. I could, I could not ignore it. He is such a loser. It's not even funny. Not even funny. So moving on from Major League Baseball. Uh, last night in the NBA playoffs, there was only one game. The Cavaliers whooped the Atlanta Hawks in this one last night. And the Cavaliers now take a two-games-to-none series lead. The Cleveland Cavaliers, they beat the Hawks. They have a two-game-to-none series lead. They do it by hitting 25 three-pointers. 25! J.R. Smith had seven of those 25. Let me say that again. That's not a misprint. That's not, like, I'm not reading a misprint here. This is real. What y'all hearing, the words coming out of my mouth, this is actual true audio. The Cleveland Cavaliers hit 25 three-pointers last night in a Game 2 win over the Hawks. I mean, that's incredible. That's incredible. The Cavaliers, if they don't win this series in four, they'll win it in five. And they will go on to play the winner of the Miami-Toronto series uh, you got game two of that series tonight. That's the only NBA playoff game tonight. The Heat and the Raptors. This game two, well, as you know, this game one went to overtime the other night. Miami won that game. And this game two is tonight, 8 o'clock in Toronto. But the story of this series, as I pointed out yesterday, a storyline to keep an eye out for, is the Chris Bosh situation, where he is now back with the team, and he has said some things in which, He's implying that he wants to play. He wants to play, I think, as soon as even this series, right? But the NBA Players Association met with the Heat. What, yesterday they had a meeting? And they actually, later on in the day yesterday, after I was done recording this podcast, after I was done talking about the Chris Boss situation, they released a statement, and it wasn't just a statement from the team. It was a statement from both the team and the player on behalf of Chris Bosh and the Heat saying that Chris Bosh would not return for the rest of this season. So they basically squashed that. They squashed uh, any sort of hard feelings maybe Bosh would have for the team for not letting him play, and maybe the team would have for Bosh for maybe calling out the team, saying he wanted to play. They, Whatever was said in that meeting, they came to an agreement. They made a statement on behalf of both the team and the player saying Chris Bosh will not play the rest of this season. So I guess that puts an end to that storyline. But either way, the Heat and the Raptors will play game two tonight on ESPN at 8 o'clock. The Heat lead that series one game to none. Another NBA piece of information that you should know, the Indiana Pacers will not bring back Coach Frank Vogel. So the Pacers will be out there looking for a new coach this season. For anybody who thought maybe Kevin McHale would join forces with Larry Bird in Indiana and McHale would go be their coach? No, 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 no. Not so much. Larry Bird actually came out today and said he would never do that to Kevin McHale. He would never have Kevin McHale or ask McHale to work underneath them or work for him. They're just uh, two good friends. And that, that kind of makes sense because if Larry Bird had Kevin McHale be his coach and it didn't work out and you got to make a move down the road, that's where shit gets awkward. And that's probably where friendships get ruined. So if you really are that close, as Larry Bird says, what's the point? There's so many jobs that Kevin McHale would have. And, and to be honest, you know, if you're McHale and, and you're looking for a coaching job, is Indiana really on the top of your list? For all we know, the Pacers trade Paul George, right? We've heard his name mentioned in rumors. 
Uh, so, I mean, is that really the, the, the job that you want if you're McHale? I don't think so. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, maybe it doesn't make sense, even without Larry Bird saying that. But Frank Vogel is out in Indiana, and it doesn't look like McHale's going to be a guy to replace him. But Indiana will be out there looking for a new coach. Last night in the Stanley Cup playoffs, there was only one game. The Pittsburgh Penguins defeated the Washington Capitals in overtime. The Penguins have now taken a 3-1 to series lead. I feel terrible for Holpe. Braden Holpe just got left out to dry in overtime. His defenseman, just a puck sitting there in the slot, and Holpe goes to poke that thing away, and as he gets set to throw his stick out, one of his defensemen out front decides to poke it himself rather than go get it and dump it out of the fucking zone. He just pokes it over to the Penguins player who now Hopi's off guard. Hopi's got his stick all out of whack. He slides over. He's got no form. He leaves the five hole wide open and the Penguins put it away and win that game in overtime. Just a, what, couple minutes into OT, right? A couple minutes into overtime, the Penguins win it. They have a 3-1 series lead. Uh, so I kind of feel bad for Holpe. That, that goal was not his fault. His defenseman just left him out to dry there. That was some terrible defense in front of the net in a crucial spot, and the Penguins made them pay. Uh, I had picked the Capitals to win the Stanley Cup, but it's not looking good because the Penguins are playing some great hockey right now. And I told you at the end of the regular season to watch out for them. Even though I picked the Capitals to win the Cup, I just, you know, I thought Ovechkin... With Holpe being the best goalie on the planet this year, I just thought they would do for a serious cup run, right? I just, I've picked the Capitals the last couple of years saying this. And it looks like the Penguins playing some of their best hockey with some of the star players they have on their team. They've come to play and they're throwing a wrench in not just my plans or my predictions for the Capitals to win the cup, but also for the Capitals' plans to make a serious cup runs with, a serious cup run with one of the best goalies on the planet. So Penguins had a big win last night. There's two Stanley Cup playoff games tonight. Dallas is in St. Louis at 8 o'clock. St. Louis is a two games to one series lead. And then at 9 o'clock, San Jose is in Nashville for their game four. The Sharks have a two to one series lead in that series. So that's what's going on in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And before I close it out, couple, couple NFL topics for you. Uh, First and foremost, there was a big signing today. Washington signs tight end Jordan Reed, 25-year-old tight end Jordan Reed, to a five-year, $50 million extension. That's $22 million guaranteed. Uh, He will now be locked up through the 2021 season. Jordan Reed had a breakout season last year. He caught 87 passes in 14 games for 952 receiving yards, had 11 receiving touchdowns and Jordan Reed now is going to get paid and you know what we do here in this town we immediately look at Rob Gronkowski's contract uh you know the Patriots had just picked up the option on Gronk that basically picks up what the final four years of this Gronkowski deal and you know it look I actually think that based on some of the tight end contracts we've seen if you had told me Jordan Reed was going to get a big payday. I kind of felt like Reed's money would be greater than 50 million over five years. I did. I actually thought it was going to be greater than that. I mean, average annual value to that is 10 million a season. 
based on some of the crazy, ridiculous contracts we've seen in the NFL and how good Jordan Reed was last year, I I think I would have predicted that this would be higher, a higher average annual value. You know, the, the $22 million guaranteed is obviously a lot, but I would have expected this deal to, to be even larger than this. And I know some people look at it and say, well, this is a monster contract, and I'm not saying it's not, but what I am saying is, I just expected it to maybe, you know, be in the five-year, I don't know, $60 million range, $65 mil. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I would have expected. Uh, I, I'm not going to hate on Washington for, for this deal. Now, I think you need to figure out what you're doing with your quarterback. You gave him the franchise tag. You know, are you going to come up with a long-term deal for Cousins? We'll see. You know, are you going to pay Reed and Cousins to get a long-term? Where are you going to go with that? Well, we'll find out. But uh, Jordan Reed, I think he des- he's deserving of the money. When we look at Gronk's contract, you know, I think if you're Gronk, anytime another tight end who only has one breakout season is making just as much as you, if not more, in the next four or five years, I think if you're Gronk, you do need to look at that and say, well, all right, it's not that much more than me, but let's be honest. I'm a guy that, if I'm healthy... You know, I'm a 1,000-yard receiver, guaranteed. I am somebody that is going to give you 11, 12 touchdown receptions. I even had a season in which I had 17 touchdown receptions. I've had three seasons of 1,000-plus receiving yards. I, I, You know, I deserve to be paid. I deserve to be the highest-paid tight end in the game. In fact, you could make the argument that I deserve to be one of the highest-paid players in the league. So we're always going to get to that, and we're always going to keep our eye on what Gronk, the businessman, because he is a businessman, and what him and his agent Drew Rosenhaus are thinking. I I think that, you know, if Gronk comes out next year and he just dominates, they'll be to the... Rosenhaus will want to be going back to the negotiation table, especially looking at some other contracts around the league. But just judging Jordan Reed's contract extension for what it is, not looking at anyone else, I'm actually... I actually don't think this is overpaying him. I actually thought he would be getting more than this, if you had told me, because that's what the, the NFL does overpay. The NFL gets ridiculous. And I don't know that this deal with Reed, in fact, I do know, I don't think it's ridiculous. I don't. But that's not the only NFL story we got today. I'm going to close it out with this. Now, I've never been, I sh- maybe I should have gone to the website earlier than today. I've never been. But I went today because I see all these stories about how Tom Brady has a new cookbook out. You don't even need to use the word new. You just need to use the word cookbook to, to, to say what? What does he have? He has a cookbook? Well, when you go to his website, Tom Brady's website, it's not called the cookbook. It's called the TB12 Nutrition Manual. It's... Guess how much money it is, by the way. I, now, I don't know. If I walked into a bookstore and there were cookbooks there, some of the best from some of the best cooks in the world, I don't even know if they do this. I have no idea. I couldn't tell you the last time I was in a bookstore. But if you go into a bookstore, well, I, don't, I couldn't tell you how much a cookbook was. But I'm willing to bet. That they're not 200 bucks, because Tom Brady's cookbook is 200 bucks. 200. What is going on? My first question is, 
what is going on in this cookbook that would make me want to pay $200? Like, what's he got in here? And I got news for him. Tom, I love you. But, you know, if your way to promote a $200 cookbook, or as you call it, nutrition manual, is showing a picture of avocado ice cream, you do not have me locked in, big dog. Like, that doesn't get me going. That doesn't get me to pull out the debit card and make a purchase. You know what else doesn't get me to pull out the debit card and make a purchase? Is when I go to the website and you tell me at the very bottom of the description of this TB12 nutrition manual that's 200 bucks that the initial printing has been sold out and that paid pre-orders placed by May 7th will ship in early June. So if I do see this cookbook, this nutrition manual, and I do think to myself, well, it's worth 200 bucks. That means that I want this thing right away. And what you're telling me when I go to the website is that I can't even get it right away. Now, I know what you're doing. You're trying to say, oh, it's in such high demand that we don't have any more. We ran out. We're gonna, you're going to have to wait until June. If I'm willing to pay $200 for a cookbook, that means I want it right the fuck now. I don't want to wait till June. So, this was the type of news that I didn't really expect, but I should have expected because remember when we heard all that stuff from Tom Brady, right, when he was on with Dennis and Callahan and Minahan, and he was talking about, you know, the, at least that's what I listen to, the foods that he eats and that he doesn't eat, and he talks about Alex Guerrero. We should have known that he was setting us up, that Brady was, was setting us up, just a perfect marketing strategy. Everybody, I remember I was so intrigued with the words that were coming out of his mouth. Like I wanted to know what Tom Brady would eat, what he didn't eat. I, I'm not going to eat what Tom Brady won't eat. What, Tom Brady said there's something wrong with this, that, the other thing? I'm staying away from that. Like, that's what we do. Well, I became so obsessed with that that I think I'm not just the only one. A lot of people did. But you know what he was doing? He was setting us up for the TB12 nutrition manual and he puts a price tag of $200 on it. Am I going to get this? Probably not. Do I want to get it? Holy shit, am I intrigued to see what the hell's going on in this thing for 200 bucks? For 200 bucks? What the fuck's going on in this thing for 200 bucks? Think about other things that you would spend 200 bucks on. Think about it. And how much use you get out of some of those things for 200 bucks? Um I don't know what's going on in this nutrition manual, but it better change my life, okay? It better change my life for 200 bucks. Maybe we can get, a, get our hands on a copy somehow without paying the 200 I mean, I, I'll give Tom Brady nutrition manual reads just so I can get a discount on this and just so I can get the book in front of me and I can see what the fuck is going on in a 200, inside of a $200 nutrition manual. Like, what's he got in here? What is going on in that thing? So, that's the other bit of NFL news. And I've never been to Tom Brady's website till right now. And now he's got me locked in. Because now I'm probably not going to buy the $200 nutrition manual, but I might buy a, I might buy something else. I might buy a hat. Right? I might buy a t-shirt. I might buy some 
electric Tom Brady electrolytes, all natural electrolytes. I might buy some TB12 fitness gear. I might buy the Brain HQ apps for my phone. I mean, this is insane. But I think I've become I've become obsessed with the Tom Brady website. I think it could it could change my life. And in fact, I think because I've given this read for the Tom Brady website, he should probably send me the book. Send me the nutrition manual because I want to know what's going on. I don't care about the avocado ice cream. I need to know what else is going on in here. So maybe they can get word and they can send us a copy. And, and I'll be happy to, to let the people know what's going on inside this book. I won't give away all the recipes, but I, I just want to let you know, let the listener know if it's going to be worth your money. Because right now, as someone who doesn't really want to spend $200 on a cookbook, I can't guarantee you, based on just seeing something about avocado ice cream, that this is going to be worth my money. Can't tell you that. So, that's the Tom Brady cookbook review without actually having it in front of me. I'm here five days a week, dannypicard.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, also in the Google Play Music Store. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all forms of social media. Uh, Tomorrow, I will wrap up the week. I'll talk a little bit more about this upcoming fight this weekend with Canelo Alvarez and Amir Khan. Canelo versus Khan for the middleweight championship. And that's not really the fight we want to see. We want to see Golovkin versus Canelo. Uh, But you would think that Canelo is probably going to have to win this one if that fight would live up to the hype. I still don't think Canelo's going to fight Golovkin, but we'll see. Uh, So with that said, I'll be rooting for Canelo this weekend, but we'll get into that fight a little bit more tomorrow. Also, Picks Picks, I give you some games with the spread every single Friday, and I will react to the Red Sox-White Sox rubber match, which is tonight with Henry Owens on the mound. And anything else that breaks in the NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs, in the world of the NFL, I will react to it right here. I'm out. Talk to you tomorrow.